Motivational interviewing helps tap into our intrinsic motivation to create the desire within ourselves to change. Typically, when people are forced or told to do something, most likely we will be met with resistance. So instead of telling someone what to do, giving them information, providing a roadmap, directing, warning, instructing, or laying out some type of a strategy for them that you think will make them change. Motivational interviewing is the opposite of all these traditional ways of thinking and getting someone to change. In our previous podcast show, episode 15, I talked about the fallacy of thought that people don't like change. The mantra that I kept saying over and over again is that people do change when the outcome and benefits of the change outweigh their current state of being. We then traveled down into a rabbit hole and talked in depth about the yin-yang concept for the interconnection between change and fear. On the dark side, we have the inside, uh, which is fear, and then on the light side, we have the yang, which we have change, which I guess pretty much sums up the world of Star Wars or the galaxy of Star Wars. Anyway, when, when we have this interconnection conflict between fear and change, what makes a difference is what focus or what direction we put ourselves and our attention towards. The more that we feed fear, then the less desire we'll have to change. Or on the other hand, for some of us, maybe fear can actually play a positive role uh, or maybe a motivational role to help push us in the positive direction of where we want to go away from the dark side of fear through developing the passion within ourselves to change. Another psychological phenomenon many of us face with the idea of change is we are met with ambivalence. Or in other words, we have a simultaneous conflicting feeling about the change. The root word for ambivalence is ambi, which ambi means both sides and is also where we get the words word or ambidextrous, which we have like two gloves that fit on the same hand. So ambi in our context means feeling or having the attraction on both sides of our inner decision for change and not to change. The second word to ambivalence is valence. So valence, or where it's also where vigilance comes from, which valence means to be strong or have a vigilance or strength. So combining the word ambivalence with the yin-yang concept we've all been talking about, we have the desire and want to change and become strong or have great strength. But something in our conscious and unconscious mind is holding us back from wanting to change. Just like we're trying to, if we were to research the methodology of lean or continuous improvement, there are all kinds of books, videos, blogs, and LinkedIn posts and internet articles available us to try and teach us more about lean or continuous improvement. Now, all these resources will be of varying grades of quality. You'll have some that are super good and informational and will make you think by looking at the world through a, maybe a different lens. On the other hand, we have some examples of information that is maybe not so good by either having a really myopic or narrow viewpoint or just blatantly wrong by missing the key 
concepts. And so the same is true about motivational interviewing. As I become a student of motivational interviewing, one of the, the best resources that I have information that I've found are six videos available on YouTube from the Australian Heart Foundation, which I will link to in the podcast description and show uh, description. So mod- motivational interviewing has its roots and is most commonly used in the medical industry like helping someone maybe lose body weight or helping somebody kick off some type of an addiction that they may have. They found great success with motivational interviewing compared to, and it's really comparable to any other, any other traditional medical treatment or processes that they might use. Uh, today, I will provide a backstory on typical applications of remote viewing in the medical industry, and then we will reveal some ways to use motivational interviewing in the world of continuous improvement. One thing to keep in mind as you continuously improve in becoming an effective motivational interviewer in helping people become motivated to change is we need to remember that the people we are motivating or doing the motivational interviewing on are the experts of their own lives. In the context of continuous improvement, They are the experts in the processes within their stewardship. As the interviewer or motivator, you are simply guiding them by helping them look at their life through a different lens and through another situation from another perspective to help them open their minds to maybe the opportunities before them and really tap into each of the power that they already have within themselves to change. They just don't know it. So... What we have as far as a structural motivational interviewing and the key to becoming more successful is finding the balance between attentive listening and asking leading or open-ended questions. Finding this balance will empower others by helping them access the resources and the desire to change already within themselves to bring about their vision of what future success looks like for them. Once they start envisioning their vision of what future success looks like, they will then see where they are now and where they want to be or become to make the change possible. Another successful skill is to not be judgmental as possible and fill yourself and the conversation with empathy towards that other person. Then reflecting on what they are saying is also crucial, and and providing a summary reinforces the key indicators or maybe comments that they made from the person being interviewed. When resistance or anger comes up, just roll with it. Again, the negative or fear side of ourselves will sometimes start boiling over because it brings up all kinds of emotional baggage, maybe their past experiences, and mental concepts from their past that are like change holding us back. And so if the person gets angry, just roll with it. Again, show no judgment and just pepper them with empathy so they can validate their strong emotion, those emotional feelings. Also, keep in mind that the person may not be ready to change right now, but the fact that you're helping them through these emotions is a powerful event to address the conscious and unconscious opportunities. An acronym to help summarize the main points 
or guide guideposts for motivational interviewing is ORs, which is open-ended questions, affirming or affirmations and empathy that I just talked about, reflective listening, and summarizing. So going back to our example in the last episode of trying to help someone stop smoking, maybe for an open-ended question you could start out with is, what are the good things about smoking? Then you could follow up by asking, what are the bad things about smoking? Again, open these open-ended questions. We avoid the typical yes or no type questions and the ability to receive responses that are like rivers of gold that flow out from what they are saying to you. You will be amazed by what they will tell you, and it will help you understand the conscious and subconscious obstacles that they might be struggling over and are keeping them from basically being chained back from realizing that they are able to break loose those chains to move forward towards the change that they want in their life. For affirmations, when we ask them about the good things about smoking or the good things that are keeping them comfortable where they are want to be at in their current state, they might, might, they might say, well, smoking helps me reduce stress so I can really just get through my day. You could say something like, yes, I think we are all trying to find different ways to deal with our stress uh, that we all have in our lives. And it looks like smoking is a, a way for you to deal with that stress that we all have and to help us basically survive on a day-by-day -day basis. So framing our affirmations or empathy response in this way also provides an opportunity for us to summarize what they said, reflect on it, and then create the opportunity to really set some light on the purpose of smoking in their life so they can talk about it out in the open with really no judgment. And so as we take part of reflective listening from our open-ended questions and summarizing what they are saying, it will really help pave a way or pave a path of change that you have will then have the opportunity to follow along with them and because you're not the one leading them or pushing them along. You're going to be following along with them, with this person, and helping them lead out the conversation. We just continue to use this or cycle of every open-ended question that we ask. We affirm, and then reflect, and then summarize the last one about what they're basically saying to us. And we've got to remember that change is uncomfortable, and it also brings up a lot of emotions and makes us vulnerable, which is why sometimes people become dismissive or angry when talking about change. So people don't really like about talking about why they are horrible and why they suck or why they are what they struggle with. I mean, nobody likes to do that. So we got to make sure that we have no judgment and show lots of empathy when we do this. I say these things over and over, not just to keep repeating myself, but Really, I want to have one, reinforce the motivational interviewing principles, so you can remember them with the ORS acronym. And really, secondly, to be honest, there isn't really much in, much in depth I should really, really be saying about motivational interviewing, because the principles on how to do motivational interviewing are quite simple. The hard part about it is coming up with really effective questions that are open-ended, and that so we can help facilitate change within the person we are talking with. So. These questions are going to be different for every person in every situation, so spend some time with the six videos and the link 
in the description and maybe other videos that you can find on YouTube or online or any other resources to find examples of these great questions to ask. One of the most interesting questions asked during a motivational interviewing session is saying something along the lines of, on a scale of 0 to 10, with 10 being I'm 100% committed to change and then 0, I'm not wanting to change, what would you rank yourself as? They might respond with something like, well, I'm a 3 or a 5. But then the golden question to follow up with that question is, why are you a 3? and not a zero. Now, pretty interesting question to ask. And really what it comes down to is it really starts to help them think through their emotions and what they've been doing. And they might say, well, over this past year, I went from smoking two packs to cigarettes to one pack of cigarettes per day. What you can then do is celebrate on that win by saying, wow, you reduced your smoking by 50% already? What made you want to do that and not want to keep smoking two packs a day? The key is about asking this, well, why aren't you a zero question, is it will help them start thinking about all the good that they've already do, been doing and all the positive things that they've been trying to start out with and have been thinking about or just been wanting to do, but just haven't had the capacity right now to do anything about it yet. It actually is pretty fun to, funny to watch some of those videos that I put in the link in the podcast description because. They have some examples of what not to do. One of the most interesting one is about a patient who is suffering from high blood pressure and is really resisting wanting to change his lifestyle. And so what happens is the clinician or the doctor is trying to force or change them by telling them all the cold and hard facts about what to do and, and what will happen if they don't do them to change your blood pressure. The doctor starts out by saying, well, your blood pressure is high, so you need to start eating better and exercising. And the patient says, yes, but I'm also really busy and I have a hard time fitting in exercise into my life right now. The doctor then says, well, if you don't eat better or exercise, you're going to continue to have high blood pressure and might have other complications that will happen later on in life. The patient then says, yes, but and gives more excuses. It's just interesting because the doctor just keeps escalating and escalating these different reasons to change, and really it just turns into a back-and-forth argument. And towards the end of their conversation, the doctor basically says, if you don't eat better and exercise and get your blood pressure down, you're going to die, and you'll be no longer with your family. Would you want that? And then basically the patient then says, yes, but... Now remember, people will change when their outcome and benefit of the change outweighs their current state of being. And so it is all really up to us to develop the skills of motivational interviewing combined with continuous improvement to really help others see through their own eyes the benefits of the change so they can unlock the potential within themselves to change their world. Now, I've talked about smoking and losing weight and examples in the medical industry about motivational interviewing, but what about some applications in the manufacturing or continuous improvement industry? For the manufacturing and continuous improvement industries, this is where I believe the unfortunate label originated that people don't like change with respect to improvements that an organization 
may want to do, but some of the employees, people claim, uh, still want to hold on to the old way of doing things that they've been doing over the past 20 years. And now, this is also one of the biggest hurdles that the lean manufacturing and continuous improvement industries really up or up against and have. And so, lean and continuous improvement is all about change and making things better and really abolishing the status quo. But when we bring up the concept of moving from what we've been doing over the past 20 years to maybe something totally new, it is okay and expected that people are not going to believe you and believe everything you just say. An example is saying, from henceforth and forever, we are going to have everything be one piece flow and nothing else. Well, if you've been batching product for the past 20 years and have the belief that this is the most efficient and best way to increase throughput, then then it'll be natural to have people dismiss one piece flow. So, what do you do? One option is to start spewing out story after story about what Toyota does and what one piece flow and in hopes of becoming basically like a Christian missionary in a sense to try and convert them to into the light of one piece flow. Now, for some this might be a beneficial option. However, just telling is really only going to go so far. So another option is to show them one piece flow how it works either by an internal workshop or maybe have them take a tour of a company uh, where they can actually see it, you're not just telling them and see one piece flow. This option again can maybe even further increase the conversation towards them wanting to accept One Piece Flow. But maybe the next option is we should have those opposers to One Piece Flow experience for themselves doing hands-on activity and doing real-life examples in their area. Again, this will even further increase the likelihood of some conversations towards One Piece Flow. And in this, really, the world of motivational interviewing, what we could do is come up with some open-ended questions to ask. Maybe some examples of open-ended questions or what are some of the benefits or good things about batching our products? They may respond by saying, well, it makes me feel like I always have work to do, that we have all this stuff piled around, and we are able to get the most amount of input or amount of product out the door. The follow-up question could be something like, uh, what are the problems that arise from batching our products? Or what, from your experience, what quality problems are maybe created from doing all this batching of our processes and products? They may respond by saying something like, well, uh, we've had a lot of us, we have a lot of scrap and defects and we get yelled at a lot for all this rework that we have to make and all this scrap. Then uh, you could say, wow, that's, pretty tough situation to be in. I can see that you really want the company to succeed and don't want to have all this scrap. And, and you also have a lot of knowledge about how we currently operate. What are some ways that you've thought about that could really help us reduce the added task of having to scrap or rework all of our products? Again, at this point, depending on your relationship with the person you're talking to, uh, they will start spewing out all this golden wealth of information from out of their mouths of what really should be fixed to make their life easier. What you need to do is you could say something like, well, if you were the owner of this company or had a magic wand to get wave over everything, 
What would you do different to change how we're operating to reduce the scrap and the number of defects? The key to any situation when we utilize motivational interviewing is to ask these types of open-ended questions that will help someone see how the benefits to the change could outweigh their current state of being. We then need to have the culture and mindset where we work to empower these individuals to lead out the change and really end our peppering of our questions with, you are the owner of this process and we have, and you really have every right to make these changes. How can I help you make these changes? Well, that ends this episode. Thank you again, my friend, for listening. We'll catch back up with you again in the next episode.